I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Upon further review, they've decided to label my mechanical bull out back a potentially offensive statue. It's high noon for Friday, February 19th, 2021. Follow the podcast on Parlor and Gab at On Your Moderator or on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm Your Moderator. Join the discussion thread at t.me slash Be Reasonable Discussion. And if you want to send me spam or hate mail, it's heymoderator at I'm Your Moderator.com. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be lovely. Now, it is the 30th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party to the point where he freely gave them back access to our electrical grid going into effect when? Oh, right before wind turbines in Texas froze to a stop. And we couldn't get other energy in because that makes the sky angry, according to Bill Gates. And that's how things work now. But yes, he was happy to restore China's right and I say right loosely, to control our critical infrastructure. Does China have wind farms in Texas? Yes, they do. Why? Because of people like Joe Biden. You know, communists. Joe Biden is also the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the worst sons anywhere ever. Hey, Joe, is your son Nero? No, Nero was using his own power, not his dad's. (laughs) But like Nero, Hunter also pretends to be an artist. So congratulations, Art Basil. Now you'll get another degenerate in Miami for two weeks. Let's start off this beautiful Friday high noon by talking about one of the most evil people in American politics, Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York State, the hero of Molly Jong Fast and every other retarded commie rich kid 
who spent the last year huddled in the corner underneath their blankie crying about Donald Trump while pretending to be very threatened by the coronavirus. From Fox News, New York GOP leader, enough evidence to move forward with Cuomo Impeachment Commission. This is published today by Joshua Q. Nelson. Nice middle name, Josh. New York's top Republican state assemblyman wants to set up a bipartisan impeachment commission against Governor Andrew Cuomo over his mishandling of coronavirus-related deaths in nursing homes. I don't know how close we are to impeachment, but what we are calling for is an impeachment commission, a bipartisan commission made up of eight members, four Republicans, four Democrats, to investigate if there were any crimes committed by the governor with his cover-up of the nursing home deaths in New York State. Assemblyman Will Barkley told the Faulkner Focus on Friday. Barkley said the Bipartisan Impeachment Commission would have 60 days to investigate and then give the report to the state legislature. And if there's something there, the assembly can move for articles of impeachment. All you need is a majority vote to do that. And then it would go to the Senate or a trial where there would need a two-thirds vote, Barkley said. Meanwhile, an Albany-based watchdog group says that the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo's nursing home directive, was likely responsible for more than a thousand additional resident deaths during the coronavirus pandemic, despite numerous denials by the administration that their order was heavily to blame. Cuomo's office has been silent on the contents of the report released by the nonprofit Empire Center for Public Policy on Thursday and reviewed by Fox News, which relies on the information provided to them by the New York State Department of Health. The governor is facing intense backlash over the scandal, including a federal probe into his administration's handling of the crisis. The focus on Cuomo comes as liberal CNN and the governor's brother, host Chris Cuomo, have given the Democrat controversies little to no airtime. Previously, the network gave Chris Cuomo free reign to conduct friendly, comical interviews with the governor, who wrote a book about successfully handling the pandemic in the middle of the pandemic. The watchdog group's analysis, which compared the death rates at facilities that admitted COVID-19 patients discharged from hospitals to the rates at others that didn't, suggests the controversial mandate by Cuomo is associated with more than one in six of the 5,780 nursing home deaths statewide between late March and early May. Barkley said there is enough evidence to begin the impeachment process. Obviously, you have the Eastern District of New York Uh, U.S. attorney looking into this. We have the FBI looking into it. And there's no reason the state legislature can't also begin looking into this. Well, you're definitely correct about the last part. There is no reason that the New York state legislature shouldn't be looking into it. They definitely should because Andrew Cuomo put this policy into effect on purpose. It is totally against any science It's definitely not the science. Even if he's going to claim that it was in line with the guidelines, it certainly isn't in line with the science. Plenty of the CDC guidelines have absolutely nothing to do with science. Wearing masks, wearing two masks, lying about hydroxychloroquine, lying about the projections for the disease and the deaths, lying about proper cycle uh, thresholds for the tests lying about the effectiveness of lockdowns, lying about 
the danger posed to kids and teachers at school, lying about the true number of COVID deaths, which has now been seen to be 1,600% higher than the actual total. That's one-sixteenth of the number that they actually show on television. But Donald Trump is a murderer. There was no excess death last year. How about that, CDC? What happened there? Weren't all the geniuses last summer who repeat the news telling us that we were going to have hundreds of thousands of excess deaths? The flu is gone, but COVID's going crazy. Wear a mask. The CDC doesn't even speak honestly when talking about policy, about the statistics that they actually have. When I say that one or two out of a thousand people can potentially die from the coronavirus, I'm not getting that from nowhere. That's literally the CDC stats. So someone better look at it. And are we going to trust the Eastern District of New York's U.S. attorney to do it? No fucking way. Are we going to trust the FBI to do it? Now that's just insane. But Andrew Cuomo isn't the only governor having problems. Boom, segue. This report from Kyle Becker yesterday. Newsom's California kicks strict signature match into overdrive, threatening recall election. California Governor Gavin Newsom has been facing a serious effort to get him removed from office. However, new developments indicate that the state of California that he runs is pulling out all the stops to protect him. The petition Rescue California has gathered over 1.5 million signatures, enough to qualify to put his recall up for a vote. But the state of California is poised to, is poised to go into overdrive to throw out signatures that do not match exactly. Local NBC affiliate KCRA3 provides a stunning update on the number of votes that have qualified thus far. On Tuesday, KCRA3 called each of the 58 counties registrar's office. We heard back from 45 of them. Based on KCRA3's independent reporting, as of Wednesday, a total of 1,020,165 signatures have been submitted. However, only 560,364 are valid. It's important to note KCRA3 did not get current totals from some large counties like Los Angeles County. We can anticipate the total number of valid signatures to increase. The effort needs more than 1.4 million signatures to get the recall petition on the ballot. Signatures can be submitted until March 17th. If the rate of 55% conversion does not increase, it would represent a major boondoggle. All right, there's a word you don't see very often. California has suddenly renewed interest in strict signature matching when it comes to the Newsom recall petition contrasts with its comparatively low 0.6% ballot rejection rate in the 2020 election. This is a quote. California election officials announced Friday that 99.4% of more than 15 million mail-in ballots were verified and counted in the November election, a rejection rate notably lower than the March primary, even though more than twice as many people voted. So there's 15 million mail-in ballots that were sent in and verified and counted in California. That number doesn't make sense. 
because there's only about 20 million eligible voters. Insane. I cannot believe that anyone, anyone anywhere thinks that the 2020 election was legitimate. Like at some point, this stuff is going to come out. You know, like again, there's only two options here, truth or Nazism. So unless we are sucked back into a full-on Orwellian 1984 dystopia where all information gets thrown in the memory hole and new information is just made, this truth will come out. The election clearly was fraudulent. There was nothing legitimate about it. It wasn't decided fairly. It wasn't run fairly. It wasn't run legally. It wasn't finished on time. The ballots weren't legal. The processes weren't legal. And then there was human fraud at the voting centers with the counting and with uh, fake ballots. All of these things are going to come out. Call it a conspiracy all you like. The Supreme Court is now in the process of hearing three major election fraud lawsuits from 2020. If they decide that these cases can proceed either today or sometime next week, what is the media going to do? Are they going to deny it? Are they going to call it a last ditch effort by the Trump campaign? What do you mean last ditch effort? So you're saying there's an effort. Okay. Well, that's weird because you're also saying that Joe Biden really is president, even though there are more than ample signs that that's not true. So what are they going to say? This whole thing is a sham. Back to the article. Former acting director of national intelligence, Richard Grinnell, who is being pressed to run against the California governor, gave a sober assessment of the situation. And this is a tweet from Grinnell. You've never seen signature verification like they're about to do in California. Steve Glazer is considered a moderate, and he's saying everyone is focused on reducing the number of signatures. Gavin Newsom has a strategy to ensure there's no recall vote. So that right there is voter suppression. Voter ID is not voter suppression. Black people understand how to get IDs. The assumption that black people would have difficulty doing that is in fact racist. Like I have said a million times, the Democrat party is the last remaining systemically racist institution in the United States and they do it all the time. So Gavin is allowed to have California get rid of half, half of the people who actually went and signed a petition and mailed it in or went, you know, somebody mailed it in. They didn't necessarily mail it in themselves, although they could. I've mailed them in. He's gonna get rid of half of those. But all the ballots that the ballot harvesters can find are just fine for a presidential election. This is a recall. Why is he fighting the signatures now? Shouldn't the people's voice count here? Shouldn't we get the recall election that California has been pushing for for nine months now? Isn't Gavin confident that he would win in the recall? 
And if he's not confident that he'd win, that should be a sign to Gavin Newsom and to Democrats across the nation and to the communist media supporting them that Gavin is hated. Despite what's going on in New York right now, I would wager that Gavin Newsom is actually more hated than Andrew Cuomo. People here loathe Gavin, except for our little champagne socialists in Hollywood, the little communists running around, impressing everyone with their self-image. Oh, you know about racism, got it. Thank you for telling all of us everything you learned about racism in your private high school and your private college. You must have learned it all while running a nonprofit and sucking in million dollar donations from the friends of your dad. And now you can educate us all on racism. Perfect. Jumping down in the article a little bit, here's another uh, quote from Grinnell on uh, Maria Bartiromo's show. The state of California is controlled by a whole bunch of Democrats, one party rule. They are going to go through every single signature we have and throw out ones they don't like. The verification process is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. We still have a long way to go to gather signatures to put this on the ballot because they are going to play games. They already are. So I would just say we've got to keep focused on getting rid of Gavin Newsom. End of quote. Donald Trump, of course, would not be able to win California. Biden received at least 10 million votes to Trump's 5.5 million. Oh, well, that's interesting. I heard 15 million votes came in through the mail. So California had, let's say some people probably voted for the other candidates besides Trump and Biden. And there are probably some that don't even vote for president, right? So let's say there are 16 million votes. 15 million of them were mail-in? I don't think so. That doesn't sound right at all, does it? Trump could win California. And Trump could win Rick Grinnell, the governorship of California. If Trump comes out here, and goes up and down California doing rallies, Gavin Newsom's going to be bye-bye. However, Donald Trump received the most votes of any Republican in California, even more than former California resident, the late Ronald Reagan. Yeah, he definitely couldn't win here, for sure. For sure. Trump was recently reported by Bloomberg TV as considering jumping into the fray to sway voters in a California recall election. Beautiful. Do it. And then jumping down a little more, there's a quote from the Rescue California organizers. California is heading off an economic cliff and Governor Gavin Newsom is driving the car. Voters are angry and they have a right to be. Newsom has devastated the state's economy with his dictatorial on-again, off-again shutdown orders. We pay the highest taxes in the nation for a state government that treats business and middle-income families as the enemy, catering exclusively to moneyed special interests in Sacramento. Voters have a recourse, the power of recall. We did it in 2003 and we can do it again with your help. So any Californians in here that haven't signed that petition, please do it. Please look on the website, find a place, to sign it 
or download one yourself, follow the instructions very specifically and very carefully and mail it in. Let's get all the signatures we can. Let's get 2.5 million so that they can get rid of a million, a million. They're going to disenfranchise a million Californians and Gavin will still get recalled. Let's do that. Man, fuck California communists. I am so sick of these people. God damn it. Okay, so continuing on good old Gavin, an actual real politician who cares about issues and the people in California is Kevin Kiley. I've talked about him on the podcast before. He is the one who brought the case against Gavin successfully last fall to override his emergency orders. And (laughs) unfortunately, not much has happened, even though he did win. But he has a blog uh, at his electkevinkelly.com website. And here we go. Today, I called for a formal investigation into Gavin Newsom's use of emergency powers to award massive no-bid contracts to his top campaign donors. And he has a link to his full release. This follows a Capitol Public Radio report finding, quote, an overlap of at least a half dozen companies that made substantial contributions to Newsom and received no-bid contracts from the state, influential appointments, or other opportunities related to the state's pandemic. For example, Blue Shield gave $342,000 to the Newsom campaign accounts before, during, and after receiving the most spots on Newsom's testing task force and getting a $15 million no-bid contract for vaccine distribution. UnitedHealth gave $210,400 to the Newsom campaign accounts before, during, and after one subsidiary got a $177 million no-bid contract, and other subsidiaries received at least $315 million in contracts through expedited bidding. Bloom Energy received a $2 million no-bid ventilator contract before and after giving $85,000 to the Newsom campaign. BYD China, its president gave $40,000 to Newsom before receiving a $1.3 billion no-bid mask deal. Now, I've talked about that deal before too. 1.3 is actually the highest I've seen it. I've seen it at 1 billion. And I had been under the impression, I thought I had read that it actually got slashed to 500 million. But Kevin, I'm going to take Kevin Kiley's word over the stuff, over the way I remember it, because he's on top of his stuff. This is what we are dealing with here. And we're supposed to pretend that somehow this is okay. And, And commies and Obamis and Romneys actually do pretend that this stuff is okay. Because in their head, well, you know, politicians, they're all corrupt. There's nothing we can do about it. They're all corrupt. No, they're not all corrupt. This is like the same way that these people excuse cheating in business, cheating in relationships. Oh, well, you know, everybody does it. You know, I made a mistake, but I'm not going to beat myself up over it. Oh, well, I mean, thank you. Yeah, the, the last thing that anyone would want if you hurt someone else is for you to feel bad about it. Because then, of course, two people feel bad. And no one wants that. It's better 
to just leave that one person feeling bad so that you can keep feeling good. You wouldn't want to like try to make it so that you rectify the situation and then the other person doesn't feel bad so that then there's zero people feeling bad. You just want to make sure that you don't have to feel bad after wronging someone else because everybody does it. But what else does everybody do? Well, if everybody is five Democrat governors who used to be held up as the stars of the party, Gretchen Whitmer, who gave the response to Donald Trump's State of the Union last year, Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, along with Tom Wolf and Phil Murphy. But all of these people directed sick patients back into nursing homes. They all did. So when Cuomo goes down for this, and he will, remember that he wasn't the only one. So the recall is only one of Gavin's worries. And now because it's a big topic this week and I rarely talk about it, let's go ahead and discuss immigration. This article is from Politico yesterday. Uh, Biden's immigration bill lands on the Hill facing bleak odds by Laura Baron Lopez, Heather Cagle, and Anita Kumar. Why, I don't understand why we always need like multiple reporters on every fucking thing. It's like they just want to disperse the responsibility for fake news off onto multiple people so that no one can actually get in trouble for it. Congressional Democrats unveiled President Joe Biden's expansive immigration reform bill Thursday, which would provide an eight-year pathway to citizenship for 11 million undocumented immigrants, but truthfully, probably closer to 30. But it already faces dim prospects for becoming law with such narrow Democratic majorities in both chambers. Thank goodness. They didn't say that I did. The bill introduced by Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey and Representative Linda Sanchez from California would create an expedited pathway for so-called dreamers and other select undocumented immigrants. It would also increase the number of available diversity visas and direct more funding to immigration courts and technology. We have an economic and moral imperative to pass big, bold, and inclusive immigration reform that leaves no one behind, not our dreamers and temporary protective status holders, not our farm workers and meat packers, not our essential workers, and not our parents, friends, and neighbors, Menendez said on a call with reporters Thursday, being very moral and very heroic and very dishonest. Menendez alluded to past attempts and failures to pass big reforms. We have compromised too much and capitulated too quickly to fringe voices who have refused to accept the humanity and contributions of immigrants to our country, he said. This entire issue is based on a lie. And that lie is that immigration is primarily a racial issue. Immigration is not at all a racial issue. There should be no reason why the country should just have open borders when many of our allies, most of our allies, all of our allies don't. This is simply great reset politics. They are trying to form global cities. Los Angeles would be one, San Francisco, New York, 
They need low-skill, low-wage workers, and they need groups of people to commit voter fraud for them. This is just another step of, the, of what they are doing with H.R. 1. They want to eliminate any possibility of their power being stripped from them by the people. This is totalitarianism. They don't give a damn about the American farm workers, the American meat packers, the American essential workers, the American parents, friends, and neighbors. Where's the priority there? They actually have extended, and I'm sure I'll get to it in the article, but they've actually extended an invitation. They're trying to actively find all the people that the Trump administration deported so that they can invite them back in. How many of those people are actual criminals? And I'm not even talking about the crime of crossing the border. It is illegal. And they should not be allowed to just come enter the country and go off wherever they like, never to return. That is not a policy. That's not an immigration policy. And they're not being honest about it. If they were honest about it, they would just argue for open borders. Okay? It's not a position I agree with. It's an incredibly stupid position. But at least it's a coherent position that you could argue if that's what you wanted. You could make the argument that the entire world should be open for every single human to go wherever they want. And then the next question is, well, what about your house? Should every human be allowed access to your house? When one of the Democrats wants to stand up and say, yes, actually, it's fine. I've removed the locks from all the doors of my house. And whoever would like to can just come and go as they please. When a Democrat says that, I will respect their open borders position on immigration. Until that time, they need to stop lying about what it is they're doing. In drafting a sweeping immigration bill early in his presidency, Biden is seeking to avoid what many Democrats viewed as a missed opportunity by former President Barack Obama to address the issue. The bill, which would also change the term alien to non-citizen in the country's legal code, has been praised widely by progressives and immigrant rights act advocates, but it's unlikely to gain any Republican support. So even that paragraph is pretty biased. So progressives and immigrant rights advocates sound like, oh, those are probably nice people. I mean, no, they're not. And then it's unlikely to gain any Republican support, you know, because Republicans are against immigrant rights. Immigrants, legal immigrants, they have a process. They actually have to go through the process. My own girlfriend is one of those people. Though co-sponsors characterized the bill as a historic step by the administration to address an overtaxed immigration system, few on and off the Hill think it can pass a 50-50 Senate. Well, it's really a 55-45 Senate because the Romneys are obviously Democrats. This bill was not designed to get to 60, said a person close to the White House who was briefed on the bill. There's no pathway to 60. Well, duh. Also, just 
give us the goddamn name of your sources. A person close to the White House? That would be like pretending I have special information on Chrissy Teigen's affinity for pizza because I'm close to the Hollywood sign. This is so stupid. White House officials wouldn't say if Biden is considering passing elements of immigration reform through a second budget reconciliation process later this year, or if they are already talking to lawmakers about passing smaller items. But they conceded the end result could be very different. He was in the Senate for 36 years, and he's the first to tell you the legislative process can look different on the other end of where it starts, a White House official said on a call with reporters Wednesday evening. Okay, so a White House official is on a call with reporters. It's not classified information. Tell us who the official is. What is this? Sources close to the White House have said for weeks that the administration is open to passing targeted bills that could be more likely to garner 60 votes. But that's going to be racist. Biden himself said as much during a town hall with CNN on Tuesday as he fielded questions on immigration. There's things I would deal with by itself, he said, but not at the expense of saying I'm never going to do the other. Oh, well, that's definitive. And the rest of the article is just kind of blah, blah, blah stuff. Read it if you like. But the problem here is that the immigration issue is still being portrayed as one about race. And, you know, I make fun of the commies and Obamis and Romneys a lot because they don't know anything and they make the dumbest arguments on the face of the earth. But part of me making fun of them is that these dumb arguments, like they're not even supporting positions that these people themselves agree with. They're happy to make the argument that we should pass legislation opening up immigration because to not do that is racist, but that's where they leave it. They can't explain how it's racist or why it's racist. They just say something like, well, you don't see them stopping immigrants from Sweden, do you? Well, I mean, what? First of all, not everybody in Sweden is white. Second of all, you don't know anything about immigration. How are you going to say whether or not they're stopping people from Sweden? Also, Sweden doesn't share a land border with us where they carry in drugs and trafficked humans. Oh, and MS-13 comes into the United States so that the CIA can tell them where to kill people. Oh, I know, it sounds so crazy. How is he saying that crazy thing? Well, how many things have you found out in the last year that you would have called crazy before? For me, that number is real high. It's time to stop thinking that everything you hear that sounds too evil or corrupt to even imagine is actually not happening. Most of the time, whatever situation you look at, if you think, what is the most evil and corrupt thing that could be going on there? That's often the right answer, as it is here. Immigration is not about race. Immigration is about the economy. 
It's about taking away jobs from Americans who could do them. And it's about reducing the wages of the American labor force because they have competing labor who will do the job for less, often because they are forced to. Now, I feel for every immigrant who wants to get out of the country where they are and go off somewhere else and try to have a better life. And I wish that the country could take all of those people in and assimilate them and employ them. But that's not realistic, especially not right now. We have a situation that we are told we are in this very dangerous, very deadly pandemic. We have plenty of people out of work. Schools aren't back in session. And so we're going to invite thousands and thousands or more illegal immigrants into the country and then supply them with welfare, schooling, healthcare, jobs. What sense does that make? No American taxpayer signed up so that we could be the world's police and the world's charity. These decisions are not being made on the basis of whether or not they're effective or whether or not they're morally right or morally wrong. They're only being made to satisfy power sources in the world, the old guard power structure. All of this is in support of that and nothing else. That's why none of it ever makes sense. Normal, smart people could be making policy for us and we would be in a much better position, but that's not what we have. What we have is Nancy Pelosi. Boom segue? Yeah. Following up on the story I was beginning to tell in early January, in fact, the day of the Capitol riot, I think that I talked about it the next day, which would be January 7th. But this article was just released in Just the News yesterday. John Solomon, uh, amid Capitol riot, FBI released files from Kennedy era investigation into Nancy Pelosi's father. Juicy. Actually, you know what? This is today. I thought, hmm, I could have sworn it was John Solomon. Maybe he just tweeted it. This is Susan Katz Keating. While Washington, D.C. was riveted January 6th on events at the U.S. Capitol, the FBI quietly released a trove of files from an urgent yet seemingly controlled investigation 60 years ago into Nancy Pelosi's father. The files reveal the results of an intense two-month investigation into Thomas D'Alessandro Jr., a Maryland politician who served in a long career as a member of Congress and a mayor of Baltimore. John F. Kennedy's White House ordered the investigation after JFK planned to appoint D'Alessandro to a government post. A routine FBI name check revealed allegations against D'Alessandro, according to a February 6, 1961 teletype from FBI director. The director at the time was J. Edgar Hoover. The urgent teletype seemed to signal the goal of ensuring that D'Alessandro would be appointed to a government watchdog board that reviewed defense contracts. The White House has requested that we proceed with a special inquiry investigation, but that if substantial derogatory information were developed, we should report this and discontinue any further inquiries because substantiation of any of the allegations would eliminate Mr. D'Alessandro, the FBI director wrote in the teletype that is located on page 19 of the Trove. Assign immediately, Hoover wrote, 
instructing the Baltimore and Washington field offices to, quote, afford continuous attention, unquote, to the investigation. In sometimes illegible and heavily redacted reproductions, the 248-page collection shows that FBI agents were tasked with running down rumors and facts surrounding their man. There have been allegations that D'Alessandro has associated with the Baltimore criminal element, read, the mafia, and redacted, the son, Franklin Roosevelt D'Alessandro, had been arrested for rape, an agent wrote on page 14 of the Trove. The allegations may have been rumor, the agent noted. Elsewhere in the Trove, agents wrote about the son, who was arrested and acquitted on charges that saw others convicted of raping two young girls aged 11 and 13. The young D'Alessandro, who died in 2007, was also tried and acquitted of perjury in relation to that case. In the 1961 inquiry into the senior D'Alessandro, the G-men delved decades into their subject's past. In 1945, it was alleged that one Charles F. Camerata had been able to get away with all sorts of criminal activities in Baltimore, Maryland, and had operated almost unmolested due to his friendship with and the protection of Congressman D'Alessandro. One unnamed agent wrote in a January 30th, 1961 memo to the White House. In the same memo, which begins on page 38 of the collection, the agent summarizes allegations that a powerful D'Alessandro took payments from applicants to the police force and that he helped to hinder the investigation and prosecution of crimes. Elsewhere, the memo cites a confidential source who has furnished reliable information in the past, reporting that D'Alessandro appeared on stage at a 1943 rally for the National Council of American-Soviet Friendship, which was formed in 1943 by the Communist Party USA as a Soviet front group, according to the FBI. The following year, the memo notes D'Alessandro was reported as the main speaker at an event for the International Workers' Order, an insurance organization placed on a list of subversive organizations by the U.S. Attorney General in 1947 and later disbanded by the order of the New York State Insurance Department for being too closely aligned with the Communist Party in violation of regulations prohibiting political activity in the industry. In a series of endorsements commencing on page 129 of the Trove, a phalanx of associates, judges, politicians, friends, and acquaintances described Alessandro in glowing terms. He was upright, they said, or loyal, honest, and a devoted family man. Two acquaintances hedged their praise. In an undated memo, one agent wrote, Another individual stated he would be hesitant in recommending D'Alessandro for any office where he would be in a position to award contracts without first having the approval of another supervisor. Following the investigation, the Senate confirmed D'Alessandro for the contract oversight position. He was sworn into office March 28, 1961, while his wife, along with JFK and a young Nancy, looked on. D'Alessandro served on the renegotiation board, which later was disbanded. In 1966, Mildred Stiegel, who at the time was an assistant to President Lyndon Baines Johnson, contacted the FBI and asked them to search their files for material on D'Alessandro. The resulting FBI memo, dated September 21st, 1966, and reproduced on page 16 of the Trove, did not explain why Stiegel wanted the information. The FBI did not disclose why the entire collection was released on January 6th and did not immediately respond to just the news. Thomas D'Alessandro died in 1987 at age 84. Speaker Pelosi did not respond to questions from Just the News. So there we have it. Nancy Pelosi's father, who was in Congress and Baltimore mayor, was also connected to the mob. 
he was also a communist. And look how Nancy turned out. The apple didn't fall far from the tree and is absolutely just as rotten. Although not as rotten, apparently, as Nancy's younger brother, who was involved with the rape of an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old girl, and then let go, which probably didn't have anything to do with her father's political affiliations. Probably nothing at all to do with that. And he was also tried for perjury about the same incident, but nothing happened there either. And that too had nothing to do with her father's political affiliations and mob ties. These are the people we're dealing with still. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com. Or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. 
And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!